0: she's tori
1: and he's nick
0: and this is i want to rewatch
1: X files podcast season three
0: episode 20
1: jose chungs from outer space this episode is a monster of the week episode and originally aired on friday april 12th 1996 It was filmed in British Columbia, Canada, and it was written by Darren Morgan and directed by Rob Bowman. This is Darren Morgan's fourth script, the third this season. He won't return to writing for the X-Files until season 10, so this is his last script for a while. However, he will enter X-Files Adjacent Land, where he and this episode's titular character, Jose Chung, reappear in the second season episode of Millennium, Jose Chung's Doomsday Defense. Which will also mark Darren Morgan's directorial debut.
0: Debut, yeah. debut.
1: And then on Friday, April fifth, they aired a repeat of Born Again
0: for the second time.
1: Yeah, I don't know why they keep shoving that down people's faces. I it actually I mean. got
0: better ratings on this second repeat airing than it got uh, when it originally aired in. That's Rome, funny. Which is kind of funny. That said, Born Again, I was, <laughs> Born Again is. Um, our least listened to episode of season one, it's 10% lower than the second lowest episode, which is shapes in season one. And it's actually 40% lower than the season one average. It's like, no one wants to listen to that episode.
1: that's funny because you and i don't like that episode either so
0: like but we're great in it i mean yeah
1: i mean i think our born again is good i think the actual episode is not good so maybe people are just like oh not that one i don't want to hear about that that
0: that is a thing i mean more more popular episodes tend to get better listenership
1: yeah which would make sense for sure but that's just hilarious but honestly
0: some of the not great episodes are some of our best because man (laughs) yeah nick is good at
1: ranting i'm good at being cranky it all works out it's fun it's a good time so in this episode author jose chung wants to write a book about a supposed alien abduction in a small town so he's interviewing everyone involved including agent scully unfortunately no one's version of events seems to totally line up so he's left to piece together the story from various accounts was it really aliens or just a series of unfortunate events that have been largely misunderstood.
0: A series of unfortunate events which
1: is also a great series. Familiar.
0: Cool.
1: Yeah, it's also a really good show on Netflix. I really like the Netflix adaptation, but the books are good oh. too. Okay. But that is not what this is about.
0: No. <laughs> I don't I know I haven't seen it so I don't know. You could be lying to me. I have no idea. Anyway, we are in Class County, Washington, and we see a starry sky at night and then we get what is basically supposed to evoke a Star Destroyer from the opening scenes of Star Wars. We get the music, and we see this thing with a bunch of greeblies underneath it kind of going across the sky. And then at the same time, we realize what it actually is, the music and the sound changes to reveal that it's just the underside of a bucket from a truck that is working on, like, the power lines. So, and the guy inside is checking on those said power lines and he's talking to someone on a phone and he says, yeah, this is Rocky. I checked all the connections. I don't know why all the power is out down here. And as the lift goes down, a car drives past. And inside there's a young man, Harold, who's driving. And he tells a young woman in the passenger seat, Chrissy, that he doesn't want to scare her, but he thinks he's in love with her. She's his whole world. And she smiles and she says, Harold, I like you a lot too. But this is our first date. Maybe we need a little more time to get to know each other. Uh, so yeah.
1: This comes out a little strong. I mean, they're teenagers, but still, come on, yeah. buddy. Calm down a little.
0: Yeah. And then suddenly the street lights and, like, the car headlights go dark, and the engine shuts off, and the car just, like, stops in the middle of the street. And Chrissy's like, what happened? And Harold's trying to start the car, and then suddenly this bright light, poof, Engulfs them. And Harold's like, oh my God. And Chrissy's like, Harold, Harold, what's going on? And we see that there's a UFO in front of them emitting said light. And then two aliens approach, and Chrissy's like, what are those things, Harold? And Harold's like, how the hell should I know? And then the aliens reach the car doors on either side. And then Harold and Chrissy just kind of sort of like, and like pass out. They fall over each other. And then the alien on the driver's side stares at Harold who kind of, like, opens his eyes a little bit and looks back at him. And then, oh, the alien's hand shoots out at Harold. And then we see the aliens dragging Chrissy and Harold down the road. And then another UFO appears with a different sound effect. And looks totally different. It's, like, a black triangle UFO. And it has, like, a red light coming down. And this huge, like, one-eyed monster alien with, like, those kind of, like, weird, like, animal-looking thing is all like it's all burr, burr. and it looked kind of like claymation kind of stuff like ray harryhausen and then one of the aliens who's dragging harold and chrissy is like jack what is that thing and jack who i guess is the other alien, is like how the hell should i know and then theme song
1: yeah it's kind of weird that was weird kind of weird that was just very weird <laughs> I have vague memories of when this episode first aired and just being like, what the heck just happened? But like I was into it, but still like, what the heck was that? It's very weird. So. Yeah. yeah. So then we're at the X-Files office and the camera focuses on the I want to believe poster. And then a man who will learn is Jose Chung appears in frame. And he tells Scully that he would never thought much about it before. He'd always felt like such an alien himself that to be concerned with aliens from other planets, well, that seemed redundant. And Scully says she'd never considered it herself much until she started this job. So Chung asks if he's correct in believing her partner is the actual expert. And Scully says yes. And then she apologizes for Mulder's refusal to speak with him. Scully probably wouldn't have agreed either, except she's a huge fan of his work. His novel, The Lonely Buddha, is one of her favorites. And Chung, you know, is kind of like, oh, you know, and he compliments her taste and he takes a seat. And Scully sits across the desk from him and asks what inspired him to write a book about an alien abduction if he's not that familiar with the subject matter. And Chung's like, oh, it was my publisher's idea. At first, he was reluctant, at least until he realized he had the chance to create a whole new literary genre. Nonfiction science fiction. That gimmick alone will guarantee a place on the bestseller list. So in short, money. And Scully says, well, as long as you're attempting to record the truth. And Chung is like, God, no, how could I possibly do that? He explains he spent three months in Class County and everyone there has a different version of what happened. Truth is as subjective as reality. And Scully's like, so you're here to get my version of the truth? And Chung says, exactly. He asked when she first found out about this case. And Scully says, well, not immediately, of course. And not enough time had elapsed for it to be considered a missing persons case before the girl was found the following morning. So Jose Chung is played by Charles Nelson Reilly. He will reprise the role of Jose Chung in one episode of Millennium, as we mentioned earlier. He's done voice work in things like The Addams Family and The Pink Panther. And he's also appeared on the Drew Carey Show, The Love Boat, Family Matters, and a bunch of other things.
0: Yes, and I'm going to do a what I'm calling a CNR deep dive, Charles Nelson <laughs> Reilly.
1: Yeah, as a kid
0: of the '70s and '80s, I mean, Tori is a kid of the '80s too. Like yes. we're, but we're like 12 years apart. So Charles Nelson Reilly was just one of those celebrities that were like everywhere, and you knew them basically because they were everywhere. But you really didn't know, like, why they were everywhere. I mean, I guess we have those people now, but back then, at least, they were usually entertaining. Anyway, he actually started on Broadway. His big break came in 1960 with the enormously successful original Broadway production of Bye Bye Birdie. He actually had a small onstage part, but he was actually Dick Van Dyke's understudy slash replacement mm-hmm. for the lead role. Dick Van Dyke actually took a break during Bye Bye Birdie to go film the Dick Van Dyke show. And so Charles Nelson Reilly actually got to be in a little bit of the show as like the lead. The production also included Dick Gautier and Paul Lind and Dick Gautier, who is in a recent Colchick episode on our Patreon, the werewolf. So Mm -hmm. and then Paul Lind, obviously another big like. He was everywhere celebrity, and you weren't really sure why he was everywhere, but he was. And this is one of the reasons. Also, big game show guy, which Charles Nelson Riley also was as well later. Then in 1961, Riley actually was in the original cast of another Broadway show, the Pulitzer Prize-winning musical, How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying, for which he actually earned a Tony Award in 1962. Nice. And then in 1964, he was in the original cast of Hello, Dolly. So he was like in a lot of original shows that are now pretty big. He was on The Tonight Show like 100 times with Johnny Carson. He was basically a co-host of The Match Game in the 70s and 80s. Weird Al has a song about him called oh, cnr cool. it's not well it's not really about him it's kind of like he attributes all these fantastic attributes to charles nelson riley kind of in the same way like you know with chuck Norris stories kind of thing and so uh-huh. it's like all these like really crazy like he can do this da 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 and like he won the tour de france with two flat tires and just all those kind of stories yeah i
1: think i've heard so, that song i didn't connect it to this actor at all that's yeah, funny
0: yeah it's just called cnr but it's charles nelson riley the two final performances of his one-man show save it for the stage the life of riley were filmed in 2004 and then were edited into a film, The Life of Riley, which it's dated 2006, but actually came out in 2007. And then Charles Nelson Riley actually died in 2007 as well.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: yeah. yeah, it's also funny because much like, well, it's not funny, it's definitely, actually, it's very not funny, uh, much like Paul Lynde later in life, sort of Paul Lynn died in 1982, sadly. They were both basically closeted homosexual men who mm-hmm. would kind of give hints, be very campy on camera, that kind of thing. And so there was always the but it was one of those things back then where like people didn't really push on that. They didn't delve into people's private lives the way they do nowadays. And so there was never really any big like scandal and like people, you know, reporters prying into people's lives like that. It was just like they were able to keep it secret basically until they decided to bring it out, which for mm-hmm. Paul and it basically happened actually after he died. Mm, Whereas Charles Nelson that? Riley actually, Charles Nelson Riley actually did not bring it out until he started doing his one man show. Honestly,
1: oh, so okay. That I always sense.
0: remember he had this big mop of hair as a kid. It turned out he's actually been bald the whole time. I mentioned to Tory off air that I didn't recognize him visually as Charles Nelson Riley because he's bald in this episode. It turned out he's been bald the whole time. I knew him; he was bald. He always wore a toupee, which apparently mm. became a joke. At some point, too. So, but yeah, that is my deep dive into Charles <laughs> Nelson Riley.
1: That's our <laughs> Charles Nelson Riley corner. He's really good in this. I mean, no, I he is amazing. He's this. very good. Like,
0: as soon as he spoke, I was like, oh my God, that's Charles Nelson Riley.
1: Yeah, like, he's he's yeah. very, very good. And I'm, yeah, I mean, we'll yeah. get into it, but I'm excited to see him in Millennium yes. as well. And
0: I'm only going to say this once and I'm going to be done. I'm just going to say it the contrast and acting ability in this scene is brutal. Anyway, so.
1: Oh, <laughs> i didn't Riley. So, is amazing he is really good though yeah yeah so back in class county the car harold was driving is parked on the side of the road but it's daytime now and we see chrissy sitting inside of the car looking disoriented and scully's voiceover says that the girl was suffering from what her partner calls missing time she had no recollection of the previous night nor how she'd arrived at her present whereabouts Her body exhibited signs of physical abuse and her clothes were on backwards and inside out. Back in the office, Chung's like, oh, I've had my share of mornings like that. And then he mentions that those are characteristics of, he flips pages in his notebook, and then he asks Scully if she prefers abductee or experiencer. And Scully says she prefers neither, but her partner prefers abductee. Chung prefers the other. And Scully says, regardless, at the time, the girl was considered neither. She appeared to be the victim of date rape more than anything else. She was given a physical exam and a statement was taken.
0: Yeah. Chung's preference is because he's like, like, would you rather say, like, I was abducted by aliens or like, I experienced a UFO. So (laughs) which, yeah, it's very (laughs) (laughs) So then we cut to Chris's sleep because the story is being narrated by Scully But then we're cutting back and forth between Scully and Jose Chung in the office. And then the actual events. What's happening. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So we cut back to Christy asleep. And Scully says that it was later that night that she received her visitation. And Christy is lying in bed when she sees someone standing over her. And she gasps. And then there's like an alien at the foot of her bed reaching for her. And then she turns the light. And when she turns back, it's actually just a stuffed cat sitting on the edge of the bed. And she's relieved and kicks the plush off her bed like, oh, kind of, but we also see that she suddenly got, like, blood on her upper lip from, like, a bloody nose that she didn't mm-hmm. have before. Weird. Little weird. And then there's a noise at her window. And so she turns off her lamp and she gets out of bed and she pulls back the curtain and she, she's a shadow. And. It's the shadow is actually kind of like cast on. It's like kind of on the ground, but it's kind of like cast on the window, too. And it's kind of like the shape of like an alienoid head. She's on the second story. And so she's like, and she pulls back and then she looks again and we see the shadow. But then it starts to move and we see the shadow moving because it turns out it's actually Harold who's down below and he's walking away from the house. So his shadow is shrinking. So like it was some casting it from like the porch light or something like that. And she opens the window and he's like, oh, Chrissy, thank God you're all right. And she's like, how dare you come here? Because obviously the assumption is she thinks she was date raped, right? Mm-hmm. And so he's like, I did everything I could. She says, oh, don't I know it, you bastard. And he's like, what? Don't you remember? And then we see the lights come on on the first floor of the house. And someone's like, what's going on out there? And Harold's like, Chrissy, I love you. And he runs because he doesn't want to basically get <laughs> beat up by her dad. Who yeah. Probably assumes he raped his daughter. Yes. So then Scully says that Christie's father informed the police and the police apprehended Harold at his home a little bit later. And then we see Harold is in an interrogation room and we should mention when Harold is at her window, like his face is all scratched up and his shirt is just like torn to pieces in front of him. Mm-hmm. Like the chest is just torn up. Anyway, he's in an interrogation room and he's telling two officers that he and Christy were abducted by aliens. One of the officers, Detective Manners says that Harold doesn't sound so sure and Harold says, it just all seems so crazy. And he doesn't know why Chrissy doesn't remember it. And Manners asks if he's willing to take a lie detector test. And Harold says he is. And Manners is like, well, too bad. I don't need a lie detector test to tell me the only thing you were abducted by was your raging hormones, you punk. So, yeah, Detective yeah. Manners is not having any of that business.
1: Um, Detective Manners is played by Larry Musser Who played Sheriff Oaks in Hand de Verlitz He will actually appear in two more episodes of The X-Files And one episode of Millennium He's also been on The Commish, The Outer Limits, The Twilight Zone, among others
0: So in voiceover, Chung asks But he did take it and passed it And Scully confirms this Saying that he also stuck to a story At least until they got there
1: Yeah So then we're in the same interrogation room and Harold tells Mulder and Scully that if Chrissy says he raped her, he guesses he raped her. And Mulder's like, you don't seem so sure of that. And Harold's like, it all seems so crazy. And I don't know why Chrissy doesn't remember it that way. So Mulder asks if he'd take a lie detector test to prove that he raped her. And he won't. And Mulder makes a tasteless prison rape joke. We'll just move beyond that. And Scully's voiceover tells Chong that that should have ended their investigation. But then Mulder brought Chrissy in for questioning. And then we see Mulder questioning Chrissy while her parents sit behind him. And Scully's standing at the back of the room. And Mulder's like, are you having trouble sleeping? And she nods. Muscle pains? She nods. Vision problems? She nods. Nosebleeds? And she looks surprised. And Mulder asks if when she looks at a particular object, she get a sudden flash that she's actually looking at something else, like an alien's face, and Chrissy exclaims, yes, and Scully tells Chung that her partner became convinced Chrissy was suffering from something he calls post-abduction syndrome. In the interrogation room, we see Mulder telling this to the parents, and Scully is like sighing heavily. She is just not, even in the flashback, amused by this, and Chung like picks up on that. He says Scully doesn't believe that. And Scully says stress of any kind can cause all those physical ailments. In any case, Mulder convinced Chrissy and her parents to let her be hypnotized.
0: Mm-hmm. So then Chung asked Scully what her opinion is on hypnosis. And she kind of like, mm, kind of does like a head just, shake kind of thing. <laughs> She's
1: kind of like, mm, don't like that. But we yeah. know
0: about Scully's history with hypnosis.
1: Yeah, she did so. not enjoy it. No.
0: <laughs> and she says she knows that it has therapeutic value but it's never been proven to enhance memory. In fact, it actually worsens it since people in that state are prone to confabulation. Chung says that when he was doing research for his book, The Caligarian Candidate, one of the best thrillers ever written, Scully adds in, look, she's all super excited.
1: She's such a fangirl, I love it. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Chung says he was interested in how when the CIA conducted their MKUltra mind control experiments in the 50s, that they had no idea how hypnosis actually worked. And Scully says no one still does. And Chung says that as a storyteller, he's fascinated by how a person's sense of consciousness can be so transformed by nothing more magical than listening to words. Mm -hmm. Like a podcast, maybe. (laughs) Perhaps Are you being
1: transformed right now? Is your experience shifting around you as you listen to us describe this episode of The X-Files?
0: Yes so (laughs) back in the interrogation room dr fingers is we never actually get his name but his name is in the credits as dr fingers he's the Mm -hmm. hypnotherapist i'm not sure if he's actually a hypnotist or if he's a hypnotherapist i'm going to assume a hypnotherapist but we never really get any Mm -mm. he's a doctor i guess all of dr fingers darren morgan anyway so he is sitting in front of chrissy and Mulder and Scully and Manners are standing further back. And then Chrissy's parents are basically like in the same spot they were that we saw in the scene previously when Mulder was talking to Chrissy. And Fingers tells Chrissy that she's very sleepy, very relaxed. And we see Chrissy's in a recliner chair and she's got her eyes closed. And then Fingers tells her that as she falls deeper and deeper, she will only respond to the sound of his voice. And we kind of get like her POV too, and like it's kind of shifting a little bit. We see Dr. Fingers and Like the screen is kind of like doing like you know I'm being hypnotized kind of stuff, and then suddenly Chrissy opens her eyes, and everyone in the room are aliens, and one of them is even holding Manners' coffee mug because Manners just like got a coffee mug in the background, and so one of them is has like a little like alien beverage, it's all glowy, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and the alien closest to her, which would be in Fingers' seat, kind of tilts his head, and then Fingers' voice asks if she can recall where she is. Chrissy pictures herself on a table. That looks like it was kind of like on a like it's a motherboard kind of looking thing and it's kind of slanted forward and she's sort of like hanging from it kind of like strapped like a similar to like a frankenstein monster maybe would be like in a laboratory and Mm -hmm. you'd be on that you know you strapped into the thing except for she has like like rubber leather whatever like underwear on and this like rubbery, leathery looking like triangle like stretched over her chest as well. And there are exhaust tubes connected to the belt around her waist. And Chrissy says that she's in a room on a spaceship surrounded by aliens. And Fingers asks what the aliens look like. And Chrissy says they're small, but their heads and eyes are big and they're gray. And then Fingers asks if she's alone and she like looks next to her And lying prone on a similar table in similar clothing, but his is like horizontal as opposed to hers being like tilted up, is Harold. And she's like, no, Harold's on another table, but he seems really out of it, like he's not really there. And Fingers asks what the aliens are doing, and she says they seem to be arguing. And then the aliens are in Mulder and Scully's position, and they're kind of like having a conversation. And then she's like, I can sort of hear them, but I can't understand what they're saying, except for the leader. I can understand him. And then again, we see the aliens and they're replaced by the people in the actual room, fingers and Mulder and Scully and manners. And then they switch back to aliens again. And then fingers ask if, when the leader speaks to her, if his mouth moves and she's like, no, but she hears him in her head and fingers ask what the alien is saying. And Chrissy says, he's telling her this is for the good of her planet. But, and then fingers is like, but what? And she says, I don't like what he's doing. Like, he's inside my mind, stealing my memories. And then we cut to Mulder and Scully, and they're like, well, Mulder's like, see? And Scully's like, oh, my God.
1: So, yeah. <laughs> Mulder is very much like, oh, yes. And Scully is just like, oh, my God, no.
0: What? Yeah. So the note say Mulder and Scully exchange a look, but, like, they are different looks, for sure. They are different looks,
1: yeah. No, they're they on different pages in this thing.
0: They're reading Stop. different books.
1: <laughs> they are, they're. Very different books. Dr. Fingers is played by Alex Daikun, who played the curator in Humbug, and he played the tarot reader in Clyde Bruckman.
0: Both Darren Morgan episodes.
1: Yep. He will appear in two more episodes of the X-Files, but not until the newest seasons in 2016 and 2018. And he's in the movie, I Want to
0: Believe. Which is 2008. hmm
1: He will also be in two episodes of Millennium as two different characters, and if he looks familiar, he's also appeared in The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, Stargate SG-1, and of course, Supernatural.
0: Yes. And with the exception of the movie and one Millennium episode, all the things he's in later that are X-Files related are written by Darren Morgan. So
1: That's funny. Although I will you know. say for like the next five or six episodes, most of the guest stars also appear in Millennium. I think it's just...
0: Yeah, well, no, because there's time
1: of casting yeah, where like yeah, they're meeting these people, millennium and making is about to start. Yeah. yeah, so like they're meeting these people, making the connections, and now they're like probably calling their agents, going, Hey, do you also want to be on this other show or whatever? Or, Hey, yeah. I was already on yeah. x files. Maybe time
0: wise, show. we're about let's see April. This is well, this airs in April. We are about five or six months away from millennium starting.
1: Mm-hmm. So, so that would make a lot of sense that all yeah. these people are being mind for millennium later. Yeah. <laughs> so Chrissy is led out of the room and Mulder tells Scully that the appearance of the aliens, the mind scan, the presence of another human who seems switched off, it's all characteristic of alien abduction. And Scully says that's her problem with it. It's a little too typical. Abduction lore has become so prevalent in our society that you could ask anyone to imagine what it would be like to be abducted. And they'd concoct an identical scenario. Mulder's like, yeah, but we have two individuals, each verifying the other story. And Manners walks up to them, and he's like, thanks a lot. You really bleeped up this case. And Scully tells Chung that, of course, he didn't say bleeped. And Chung says he's familiar with Manners' colorful phraseology. Mulder asks if Manners is still going to hold Harold. Manners says, you bet your blankety-blank bleep I am. And Mulder says Chrissy's story confirms his alibi, but Manners is like, to hell she did. Those kids' stories couldn't be more bleep and different. And Scully face palms as Manners walks away. So, yeah.
0: and it's commercial, but nobody died at least. So,
1: yeah, as far as we know,
0: yeah, yeah. I like that while it's not exactly the same, like the aliens look different because even though she says they're small, they're actually kind of tallish for aliens and like everything's kind of less industrial looking, but it's like dark, it's much more reminiscent of Dwayne Barry. Than it is of one breath as far mm-hmm. as like the alien abduction scene where like the one breath stuff is all like white light and, you know, that kind of thing. Whereas Dwayne Barry's is all dark and industrial and lasers in his mouth and stuff like that. So, yeah, he wasn't wearing like the rubber underwear chest cover thing. But, you know, we can't show naked women on television. So we got to cover them up somehow. So mm-hmm. That's how we do it. Yeah. Coincidentally, Dwayne Barry and One Breath are like my highest and lowest rated episodes of season two because irresistible doesn't count. So Oh, it doesn't. You. Yeah, anymore does yeah. not count it doesn't exist i mean no you don't remember the episode right
1: uh no i have no memories yeah. of a demon named donnie faster or of scully being abducted in no, a house those are
0: very specific non-memories interesting mm-hmm.
1: okay. yeah no yeah. it's like someone stole my memories <gasps> oh my god, <laughs> oh my
0: god. <laughs> well maybe they're inside a spaceship or an industrial warehouse because there are maybe a bunch of cages in an industrial warehouse or spaceship that we see and harold is in one of those cages And outside the bars, there's, like, all kinds of, like, sparks of electricity and, like, hanging wires and, like, a ton of cages. And he touches the bars, and they kind of shock him a little bit. And then he turns to Chrissy because Chrissy's, like, crumpled, like, next to him in the same cage. And he touches her shoulder. And then he hears someone in the distance, like, is all, like, like, crying out. So he turns, and he sees next to them in a cage is an alien, like the aliens that were dragging them away from their car. And Harold's, like, what do you want with us? And then we see that Mulder is sitting across from Harold as he tells the story. And Mulder's like, How did the alien respond? And Scully is also in the room, of course. She's over by the window. And Harold tells Mulder that all the alien did was, and then we cut to the alien, and the alien's just sitting in a cage, like just like <laughs> just dragging a cigarette. Like his life depends on it. Just like
1: mm-hmm. yeah.
0: And then Chrissy wakes up and Harold tells her, It's okay. I'm here to protect you. I'll never let anything happen to you. And then the top of their cage opens and there's this bright, like reddish light. And some all them like,
1: <laughs>
0: and then Christy is like yanked up out of the cage and disappears. So, so much for that, Harold. And then Harold huddles in the corner and Mulder asks, what about the other alien? What the great alien was doing during this? And Harold's like, he was talking and Mulder's like telepathically. And Harold's like, no, in English. He just kept saying the same thing over and over again. And then we cut back to the cages and the aliens like got his knees up and he's just rocking back and forth. And he's all, this is not happening. This is not happening. This is not happening. This is not happening. So and Harold's like, shut up. But it doesn't help. Alien just keeps going back and forth. And then the top of Harold's cage opens and the bright light shines down. And then Harold is lifted from the cage and he screams. "No!" And then Harold doesn't know where he was taken because the whole time he was like this. And you can't see me, but I'm, like, in, like, a fetal position with, like, my my fists up over my face, and I'm all crunched up, like, to protect myself, right? And then the next thing he remembers, he was outside. It was like he was flying through the air, and then motorcycle, and then what happened? He was like, oh, then I hit the ground? And when I came to, I ran to Chrissy's house to make sure she was okay. So he was basically dropped is what, he, what happened. <laughs> <laughs> he landed on the ground. He was unconscious, and then woke up. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and he ran to Chrissy's, which is why he looked like such a hot mess when he was under her window. Because he's yeah. just like.
0: I and mean, maybe he was all tore up from like falling through trees or something. I have no idea. But yeah. Or sleeping so, in the
1: woods, depending yeah. on what, who knows.
0: Yeah, because he's, he's, he's all cut up and his shirt's all torn like that when he shows mm-hmm. up. But, yeah, so we don't know where those things happen. But yeah. But yeah, he wasn't so much flying through the air as he was like
1: falling through the
0: air, I think. But yeah, could be wrong.
1: Mm-hmm. So then Scully asks if he and Chrissy engaged in consensual intercourse that night. And Harold kind of hesitates for a second. And he's like, if her father finds out, I'm a dead man. So later we see Mulder and Scully are sitting at the same table. And Mulder says Harold claims they had sex before the abductions. And so what? Like, what difference does that make? And Scully's like, well, then we know it wasn't an alien who probed her, which I don't know, both could have happened. Mm hmm. And Scully says they have two kids who are having sex before they're old enough to know how to handle it. And Mulder's like, so are you saying this is just a case of sexual trauma? And Scully's like, well, that's a lot more plausible than alien abduction, especially in light of their contradictory stories. And then Manners opens the door and he tells him he got a call from someone claiming to have witnessed the alien abduction. And he's like, feel like talking to this blank hole, which we we know Mulder definitely does.
0: So, Mulder and Scully are talking with Rocky, the electrician from the opening, and he's in his garage where he has like a work table, like a little drafting table workspace kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And Rocky tells them that he knows it sounds crazy, but he doesn't care. And Scully's like, Well, why did you wait until now to come forward? Like two kids' lives may be affected. And Rocky says, It's bigger than just two kids, it has to do with the entire planet, the universe, who knows what else. Mulder asks them to tell them what happened that night. And Rocky says, this and he holds up this hefty stack of papers like they're all bound with clasps and it's basically he's got a manuscript Mm -hmm. and he's like it's all here i rushed home and i wrote it all down 48 hours straight i didn't want to forget a single detail so Mulder reaches for it but then rocky like "Mm," kind of pulls it back a little bit and he's like i don't want to be dramatic but by looking at this you're putting your lives in danger Mulder's like how why and he says that last night, the weirdest thing happened. And then we cut to last night. Rocky's sitting at his drafting table, like, working on some stuff. And then his garage door opens. Whoop! And this black car, like, whoop, comes in, parks, and, like, door closes. Totally black. All the windows are totally blacked out. And then the blackened window, driver's side, rolls down. Whoop, and this man with a goatee tells Rocky that no other object has been misidentified as a flying saucer more often than the planet Venus. And Rocky's like, really? And then we cut to the present, and Rocky's like, that's when I realized something was weird. And Scully's like, at what point?
1: <laughs> know, she's like, this whole <laughs> thing is weird. What do you mean that's when? Anyway, it's fine. <laughs> yeah.
0: So Rocky says, normally, if two strangers drove into his garage, he'd tell them to get the hell out, but he didn't. It was like he was in a trance or something. And Mulder asks what they look like. And Rocky says he's usually good with faces, but all he can remember is how they were dressed. And Mulder's like, all in black and Rocky's like oh, how did you know that and Mulder's <laughs> like well since the 50s people who had close encounters have reported visits by these unearthly men in black so Ooh. yeah
1: so back in the x-files office Chung says that myths about men in black have been recorded throughout history in many cultures Celtic legends for example are filled with stories of trickster men in black and Scully says the reconstruction of ancient fairy tales doesn't lend any more credence to Rocky's testimony. And then we're back in the garage and the man in black gets out of the car and he walks towards Rocky's desk saying, even the former leader of your United States, James Earl Carter, thought he saw a UFO once. And he puts a gloved hand on a line piece of paper that's titled The Truth About Aliens by Rocky Crickinson. And then he continues, but it's been proven he only saw the planet Venus. And Rocky grabs the papers and he like holds them close to his chest like he's hugging them. And he just says, I'm a Republican. And the man in black tells him that Venus was at its peak brilliance last night. You probably thought you saw something else, but I assure you, you saw Venus. And Rocky says, I know. And the man cuts him off, but Rocky finishes what I saw. And the man in black tells him that science is yet to discover how the human brain processes two-dimensional retinal images into the three-dimensional phenomenon known as perception. Yet Rocky so brazenly declares that seeing is believing And then he tells Rocky that his scientific ignorance makes him shudder and Rocky shouldn't flaunt his ignorance by telling anyone he saw anything last night, but the planet Venus, because if you do, you're a dead man. And the man gets back into his car and Rocky weekly is kind of like, you can't threaten me to which the man counters. I just did. And then the car, like the window rolls up, the garage door comes up, the car just kind of like backs up and like backs out around down the road but it even like it just it looks like it's playing in reverse basically
0: i did it a couple times to see because i was thinking because it looks also weird when it comes in like it comes in like so mm-hmm. super smooth and just stops yeah and i was wondering if one of those there might be i don't think all of it is but there may be some like reverse action going on but i honestly can't tell you when and where i mean because yeah. i mean i mean if you're a professional driver you can like back up that smoothly and just, mm-hmm. boom, out of the picture but yeah it's I a pretty like,
1: smooth effect though it just yeah, makes it I look otherworldly i didn't
0: go i could have i actually thought about it because there is like like some exhaust plumes and that kind of stuff and i thought about um doing a super like comparison of like oh, where is the where is the mist in this frame versus it? i decided not to be a crazy person and do that so it's <laughs> like, that big a deal it just looks yeah it, it's made to look otherworldly so it does
1: yeah it does So Rocky hands Mulder his manuscript, telling him that this is what they didn't want him to show anyone. And then he says he has to go. And Mulder asks where he can find Rocky if he has questions, but Rocky says they won't find him and leaves the garage. He's out. And Rocky is played by William Lucking. This is his only X-Files appearance, though he will be in one episode of Millennium. He had a long career as a character actor. He actually had a recurring role on Sons of Anarchy, which is a show that I never watched. And he appeared multiple times on Murder, She Wrote. He was also in MASH, The West Wing, NYPD Blue, ER. He was in the movie Red Dragon and the movie K-Pax. Unfortunately, he passed away on October 21st of last year in 2021 at the age
0: of 80. (laughs) <laughs> like how you'd be like which is a show i never watched
1: <laughs> yeah well, i never watched it so i don't know i've never seen it i don't know anything about it since i know America, but like but that apparently... one you called
0: out like uh, how many uh, how many other shows have we talked about that you actually have never watched i don't know maybe you've watched everything else we have ever talked about i don't know i don't know i try to I mention it if it's
1: like i'm like oh yeah he's he's known for this but i you know i've never seen it so i don't know him from that oh, okay. i just know that he was on it
0: yeah i know i liked him um, he was good so yeah he's
1: cool. really good i really like him in this yeah. i like everyone and i think is good in this i really <laughs> like this episode though Spoiler alert, I really like this episode. (laughs) And the first Man in Black is played by Jesse Ventura, who is the WWF WWE wrestler and the former governor of Minnesota, although he was not governor yet when this was filmed.
0: You say first Man in Black.
1: Hmm, Yeah, there might be a second one in the car. I don't know. What? They don't usually travel alone. Men in Black travel in packs. Didn't you watch the movie Men in Black with Will Smith? Everyone that came out after this.
0: Okay, and kind of rewrote (laughs) a lot of the mythos. Thank you very much. So I'm just going to say Anyway.
1: And as a banger song. That's not so
0: good. <laughs> He's also the co-star of Predator. I guess you'd call him co-star. And the first time he talked, I was like, that's got to be Jesse Ventura. So I was wrong because it was just Ventura. So that's good. I did, going to the whole Men in Black thing, I think the portrayal of the Men in Black was a little bit off. And behavior-wise, it actually matched really well with like pre-Will Smith accounts of Men in Black. As I said, that movie does rewrite a lot. And it's also based on a comic. Anyway, there's pre Men in Black movie and there's post men in black movie and this matches behavior wise a lot of pre men in black movie i'm gonna call that pws for pre will (laughs) smith and then aws for after will smith so yes they're sorting our
1: men in black into two groups got it (laughs) yeah so
0: visually it was kind of off on both pws and aws but i'll talk more about that i think maybe at the end maybe better because we're going to see as you said we're going to see some more men in black
1: yeah more men so, in black action yeah. this is not the last day where he appears
0: no i do think though i'm not that great with cars but i do think this car may have been a 1959 cadillac which is the preferred vehicle of at least the rick springfield version of nick knight because it has the largest trunk mm-hmm. ever made in any vehicle. i could see
1: that so i have not seen the tv movie of forever night though which i'm going to have to rectify
0: yeah, this one is not a convertible. Nick's night is a convertible, but, you know, still could be a 1959 Cadillac. They made hard top and convertible versions. So
1: mm-hmm. yeah.
0: So, in a motel room, Mulder is reading Rocky's manuscript while Scully sits on the bed listening. And he's like, I sat in my stalled truck, frozen in terror, watching as this third alien attacked the other two gray aliens. And then it happened. The thing that forever changed my life. And then we cut to the scene that is going on, right? And Rocky's like driving the truck and it pulls up to Harold's now abandoned vehicle. And then his own truck just goes dark. And then from his truck, he is watching the like big (laughs) alien attacking the two small aliens. And they're like huddled down like in defensive positions. And like Harold and Chrissy are just like laying on the ground unconscious at their feet, right? They just dropped them. And then the bigger (laughs) alien turns towards Rocky and is like, and Rocky's like like slides down in the seat and lays down hoping like no one will notice he's there and then the red light fills his truck and then a voice is like Rocky and he looks up and it's a large alien outside his window and he says be not afraid no harm will come on to thee and then Rocky asks what he wants from him and the alien tells him that his effort is needed for the survival of all earthlings he's all Come, and I will show thee. So, oh, my throat. Oh. Anyway, <laughs> you get an idea of the voice of mm-hmm. the Yeah, it's very yeah. dramatic. I can do the growls. I can't do the growl and the voice at the same time. It's hard. So then we cut back to Mulder reading, and Scully is like,
1: mm.
0: he's not impressed with Mm-mm. style or content, I think. And Mulder keeps reading. He's like, before I knew it, I was aboard the hover vessel, was heading not into outer space. But inner space, towards the Earth's molten core. For that is the domain of the third alien whose name was Lord Kimboat. And then Mulder looks up at Scully.
1: Yeah. So then back at the X Files office, Scully tells Chung that Rocky showed signs of being a fantasy prone personality. And Chung tells Scully that she's kind hearted. Rocky was a nut. Chung read his manifesto. And Scully's like, How did you get a copy? And Chung pulls out a copy and he says it was sent to his publisher. Chung doesn't know what part was more disturbing, the description of the inner core reincarnated soul sex orgy or the fact that the whole thing is written in screenplay format. (laughs) Chung says, surely her partner didn't believe any of it. And Scully says Mulder's had his share of peculiar notions. So back in the motel room, Scully's like, Mulder, you're nuts. And Mulder's like, I'm not saying Rocky isn't delusional. I'm just suggesting his delusional state was triggered by something he actually witnessed that night. And the first part of his story does verify Harold's. In fact, the only version that doesn't add up is Chrissy's. So Mulder picks up the phone and Scully asks who he's calling. And Mulder says he's going to arrange to have Chrissy re-hypnotized to see if what she remembers is actually what she remembers. (gasps) Which, you know, Scully does not look happy about any of
0: this. Oh, So, But then we're in the interrogation room again, and Mulder Mm -hmm. and Scully and Manners are all standing behind Fingers in the same configuration as before, and Chrissy's parents are sitting off to the side, exactly how they were before. Almost like these might have been filmed at the same time, possibly. I didn't check clothing to see if there were different clothes.
1: Yeah, well, I think they're meant to look identical, right? Well,
0: well, they're definitely meant to be in the same position because Fingers tells Chrissy she's very sleepy, very relaxed. And in Scully's voiceover, she tells Chung that Chrissy was put under again to see if she could confirm any of Harold's story. And as Scully suspected, under such conditions, she did. We see Chrissy sitting in the chair with her fist in her face, like curled up the same way that like Harold was before. And she's like, the whole time he was beating me, I was like this. And then she says she's flying through the air. And fingers ask now what's happening. And she says, they're men picking her up off the ground and he's like what men and she's like men in air force uniforms and Mulder's like air force and then fingers is like well where are you now and she says she's in an office surrounded by men and then we see air force officers in the positions of manners Mulder and scully and everybody that used to be the aliens right so Mm -hmm. and then there are some men in suits that are replacing her parents instead of extra aliens and then scully and dr fingers and she says the one closest to her looks like a doctor and he's talking to her and he tells her that she's feeling very sleepy and fingers asks what the other men are doing. And she says, it seems like they're arguing. One of them says, ask her if the third alien had a Russian accent. And another is like, oh, ask her if she knows where the great alien saucer went. And then another one was like, how would she know that? And then the Scully suit, the person that's in the position of Scully is like walks up and he's like a dude in a suit in Chrissy is remembering. And he's like, looks at her and he's like, all right, rinse her out and give her the usual abduction rig And then fingers ask like, well, what's the doctor doing now? And then we see the doctor like looking at Chrissy and she says, he's telling her this is for the good of the country, but she doesn't like what he's doing. It's like, he's stealing her memories.
1: Weird.
0: Yeah, so very similar, but with different (laughs) things going on.
1: Yeah, Yeah, very similar. Yeah.
0: And while this does prove Mulder's point, the one he was trying to make that, you know, like the story doesn't match, I would have thought, my first thought was like, you would have got a different hypnotherapist to see if like that would change the story. But then I guess that would also, while it would either prove veracity, if you got the same story with a different person, that would prove like she's totally telling the truth. But if it proves this part, then in a way it kind of makes hypnosis kind of like crap. I mean, not that this doesn't.
1: I, yeah, I don't know that this proves hypnosis either way. I think Mulder feels good about it. I think Scully feels like it proves her point, which is that yeah. she's suggestible and doing it again is just going to have her mold her story to the one she heard from Harold. Yeah. You know. So later in an empty interrogation room, Scully tells Mulder that she thinks he and the hypnotherapist were leading Chrissy. And there's more confabulation in the second version than in the first. Mulder says she's wrong about that, but he does think she's right about one thing, that this case might not have anything to do with aliens. And Scully looks surprised. But then Manners comes in and he says he got a call from a real blankety blank who claims he found a real dead alien body, which, uh, yeah. Whoa. And so then there's a commercial break.
0: Mm-hmm. No one died. Oh, I guess an alien did, I guess.
1: Maybe. Yeah, we heard, we yeah. heard that an
0: alien did. Yeah.
1: And then there's a young man, Blaine, and he's sitting on his bed against a backdrop of magazine clippings. And all the magazine clippings are talking about aliens and paranormal activity. And he tells Chung, who's in the room interviewing him, that he knows it sounds crazy, but he wants to be abducted by aliens. And Chung asks why. And Blaine's like, I hate this town and I hate people. And I want to be taken away to someplace where I don't have to worry about finding a job. Which... I found extremely relatable as a teenager and still find somewhat relatable. Anyway, so then Chung asks him, so you were out in the field that night and Blaine nods. He says he was looking for UFOs and Blaine is played by Alan Zink, who will play Brian Rodeker in Millennium. He actually hasn't done much else. He's been in The Outer Limits and Poltergeist Legacy and like a handful of things, but he hasn't done a lot.
0: And none of the Millennium episodes he's in are Darren Morgan episodes, by the way.
1: yeah like i said this is the time i think they're just like pulling people that they've recently worked with and getting them in there
0: speaking of we are in the in-between time so millennium has not yet started another show has and blaine is wearing a t-shirt from that show it is space above and beyond which is the series that morgan and wong left x-files to create which was in canceled after one season ironically unlike with the x-files Morgan Wong actually had a five-season story planned out for Space Above and Beyond, but then it got canceled the first season. So we've (laughs) talked before about like they didn't seem to have a long-term plan for X Files, but yet when they went to this one, they were like, "We got a plan." We got a, but then too bad. So I think he's also definitely a Darren Morgan proxy for this episode,
1: Mm, probably. Um, Or looks a lot
0: like Darren Morgan, honestly. So. Yeah.
1: Well, and also, I think he's just kind of that kid who grew up in a small town who wants to get out, and his out is aliens, which yeah. again relate to deeply. So, yeah, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of Blaine. <laughs> so then we cut to that night, and we see Blaine is walking through a field of tall grass with a flashlight. He tells Chung that there had been recent UFO sightings in that area, so he was hoping to stumble across one. And Blaine actually trips over something in the grass but then he apparently sees something and he tells chung that he's read nearly everything written about ufos and aliens he should have run and got his video camera instead of notifying the proper authorities and chung's like what was wrong with doing that and now we see police cars at the edge of the field along with a black car and blaine says because the proper authority showed up with a couple men in black and we see scully emerge from the black car And Blaine's like, one of them was disguised as a woman, but she wasn't really pulling it off. Like, her hair was a little too red. And the other one, the one who we see as Mulder, had a face so blank and expressionless, he didn't seem human. The only time he reacted was when he saw the dead body. And then Mulder walks up to the edge of the grass and lets out a shriek. And Manners, who's next to him, is like, that's a bleeping dead alien body if I ever bleeping saw one. And in the grass, we see there's a gray dead alien with a giant wound in its midsection. And so Scully tells him to wrap it up. Then she goes up to Blaine, grabs him by the collar, shoves her flashlight in his face and says, you never saw this. This didn't happen. Tell anyone you're a dead man. (gasps) And in the X-Files office, Scully is incredulous. She's like, he said I said what? And Chung says Blaine claims she threatened him. And she's like, that's ridiculous. And besides... We allowed him to view the autopsy.
0: So then we cut to the autopsy suite and we see Scully is wearing scrubs and she's got the goggles on and she's standing over the alien body with a scalpel and Mulders and Manners are standing by watching and then Blaine bursts in with a video camera and Manners grabs him and Blaine's all like, you can't suppress the truth. And He's all Roswell, Roswell. And he tries to like push past him. But then Mulders like, hey, hey, does that camera work? And Blaine nods. And so then we cut to the Blaine cam of Scully, like doing the autopsy. And it's like Tori's notes. Hey, Blaine is not a good cameraman. It's totally made to like emulate the alien autopsy video. They got like uh-huh. the freaky music and everything <laughs> and like the weird cuts. And yeah.
1: Which we see so, why.
0: Yeah, we do. Because then we cut to stupendous yappy. Yay. And he's on the television asking, is this an actual footage of a real alien autopsy or simply a well-made hoax? And then we see Chung in the X-Files office with the VCR remote and he says so this is footage of the actual autopsy you performed i will the one if i have a complaint about this episode this is this is a very minor thing but there is a complaint i have here they did a really good job on a lot of the effects on this episode but when chung is supposed to be like fast forwarding through the, the video that he's watching they just put like some diggy stripes on it and it does not look like he's fast forwarding at all
1: oh it looks fake yeah. fake
0: fake and that's i'm like that. that's that yeah that's where they fell down on effects as far as I'm concerned on this episode. So it's, mm-hmm. t- it's tiny, but it like totally like, oh, that's not, he's not really fast forwarding and you got some Digi stuff on the screen, but anyway. So Scully's like, it's so embarrassing because you know, they're watching the video and she's holding a video case and it says dead alien truth or humbug. And it's hosted by the suspended Shoppy. And on the tape, as Chunk keeps watching, we see like Mulder moving in the background, but like his head's cut off. So we just see like a dark suit moving around. And, you like, who is this mysterious government man? And what government agency does this ops, ops doctor work for? And of course, Scully's got like, you know, she's got like the bonnet on and her goggles and mm-hmm. a mask. So you can't really see anything. You can't tell. You can't really
1: her. see her face. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And she's like, whoever got a hold of this, like edited it in such a way to delete any of the significant findings. And then we cut to the real autopsy room and Scully has just cut open the alien. I will say at one point in the scene, she uses a bone saw on the alien's head and like the alien's head is like folded over. Mm-hmm. But then in this scene, She's going to cut open the chest and she says, there appear to be two layers of epidermis. And then she's like, and there's a metal strip. And then she looks up and it's like, it's a zipper. And then she pulls off the alien mask and we see like his head is folded back and like the skin on his head is folded Mm -hmm. back and it's like a little like skin tissue or anything. And we see it's a human man underneath. I'm like, you used a bone saw on the mask and like peeled it back. You didn't realize there was like a human head inside there.
1: Yeah, the, the timing of them figuring out it's a costume is a little weird for me because I feel yeah. like they would have figured that out when they picked him up. Like, I feel like that would have been very apparent, yeah. even if it's a good costume. But yeah, which is
0: weird that the video thing actually bothered me more than that, though. It's kind of strange. I'm just I'm afraid. Yeah,
1: I, I mean, I, I let it go. But it was one of those <laughs> moments in the episode where I was like, they would have known that already. Anyway, yeah. it's fine.
0: And also just visually like looking at I'm assuming Scully as a like medical doctor would be able to tell, like latex costume.
1: Right. Like, yeah. Oh, even alien flesh.
0: Right. Oh, you build yeah. It. Yeah. But yeah, the bone saw on the head thing was a little like, mm, if, they, if they'd skipped that part, then it would have been fine. But the fact that they showed that and then like the skin is all folded back on the head, too. It's kind of like, mm-hmm. but anyway, yeah, but still the video thing bothered me more. I'm weird. I do not know what's going on. So anyway, they reveal the face of a human man. And then later, the costume is completely removed and piled up alongside the metal table with the body. And Blaine is like, it's just a dead human being. And then he starts to, like, barf in his mouth, and and he has to run off to throw up. Mm -hmm. And then Manner's like, who is this dead guy? And Mulder bets they can find his ID in the military database. Ooh. Yeah.
1: So, cut to a military ID record sheet with the man's photo. His name is Robert Charles Vallee. In the hall, Mulder asks if she found their cameraman. And Scully says no, but she found the dead man's ID. He was an Air Force major named Valet. And then three Air Force officers come down the hall, led by Sergeant Hynek, and they were informed that their AWOL major, Valet, was being detained here, and they want to escort him back to base. And Scully informs them that Valet is deceased, and they're holding his body for further investigation. And Hynek is like, what investigation? And Scully says, a kidnapping case. And Hynek has to see the body so he can ID it. And then Mulder distracts them by bluffing that they have the other AWOL pilot with them. And Heineck supplies the name of that man, Lieutenant Jack Schaefer. And then Mulder's like, oh, you know, he was, he was right here. He seems to have disappeared. And then they let Heineck see the body, so they walk him into the autopsy room. But the body is gone. It's no longer on the table. And Mulder's like, oh, we need to find the cameraman.
0: Yeah, Mulder's sneaky, though, with that little, that little, like... Oh, the other pilot. Mm Yeah. Yeah. So then we see Blaine. He's at home and he's watching the footage that he recorded of the alien autopsy. And then there's a knock on his door. And so he's like, goes to answer it. And it's the men in black and they, boom, they kick open the door, and the first man is the one we saw before. It's Jesse Ventura, right? And so he steps over Blaine, because Blaine got knocked down when the door got kicked open, and he goes over to the VCR, which he doesn't, like, eject. He just, like, rips the VCR open from the top and, like, <laughs> pulls the tape out of, like, the machine itself, and then the other figure is hung back for a while, is face in shadow, and then Blaine tries to stop the guys, like, you know, again with the, like, Roswell, Roswell, you can't suppress the truth, and then Jesse Ventura basically picks him up and does, like, a wrestling move on him, and, like, Kruh! and then He's unconscious and he's on the ground. So,
1: yeah. And Blaine. Uh, Blaine has the same "I Want to Believe" poster as Mulder does. So, just wanted to point that out. Thought that it was is. a good detail. Even the
0: correct version that we currently see, because mm-hmm. there have been at least two versions that Mulder has had in his office. So, yeah. Which would make sense that it's the correct version because we feature it in the beginning of the episode in
1: next right. office. So, so they probably just printed off another one.
0: <laughs> yeah. So then in Blaine's voiceover, he says he was unconscious for he doesn't know how long. And then he came to only because. And then we see that Mulder is slapping Blaine. Pow, pow, pow. And he demands the tape. And Blaine tells him they took it. And then Mulder slaps him again and says, who? And he's like, the other men in black. And then Mulder says, if I find out you lied to me, you're a dead man.
1: (laughs) Oh, so funny.
0: And then we see that it's later and Chung is still interviewing him. And Chung asked if he's nervous about telling him all of this because he's had so many death threats. And Blaine is like, I didn't spend all those years playing D&D and not learning something about courage.
1: Yeah, which I thought he was rolled high. a good line. Yeah. Shout out to all you D&D players out there.
0: You rolled a 20.
1: I've played a couple times. I just I don't have like an ongoing game or anything. I think it's fun. I just don't have a group. So if anyone wants to start a D&D group. <laughs> I say, like, I have time for that. I don't have time for that. We know but. no
0: one wants to because they're going to use the I'm allergic to cats. <laughs> I'm not going to come to your house. Tori, so just I know. <laughs> <stop>. <laughs> oh,
1: someday I'll have board game friends. Anyway, Mulder is driving and Scully tells Chung that Mulder was heading back to the hotel after failing to recover the tape when his account of things gets a little odd. And then we see a naked man walks out into the road in front of Mulder's car. And Mulder swerves to avoid hitting him. And then, like, the guy just kind of keeps walking. So Mulder pulls up alongside him and is like, Lieutenant Jack Schaefer? And Schaefer has scrapes and cuts on his body. And he grabs Mulder through the car window. And he says, this is not happening. This is not happening.
0: I and mean, it's commercial. Yeah. this was very fresh bonesy. Yeah. I say that and then I went back and looked at Fresh Bones and I'm like, was the Fresh Bone dude naked too? I couldn't remember. I went back and watched, and like, one, it's nighttime and Scully is there. Whereas this is like, well, I guess this is nighttime too. But then well, it's kind of nighttime, daytime. It's kind of weird. There's like a it's like
1: twilighty, yeah. because yeah, Mulder's really. headlights
0: are on to give us the lens flare that blocks off Jack's junk and buttocks from the scene when we get the full body shot of him being naked. But then like it's like pure night in Fresh Bones, and he's actually dressed, so does have a lot of cuts and bruises and that kind of stuff. So I don't know. Maybe someone is stealing my memories. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So then we're in a diner, and Mulder is sitting next to Jack, who now has some clothes. So they found some clothes. Maybe Mulder, well, maybe Mulder had like his uh his like workout gear in the trunk. And so he gave it to Jack. So Jack's work so he wouldn't be naked in the diner. That's nice Mulder to do that. And Jack is playing with a pile of mashed potatoes. Mm-hmm. And he's talking about how the military uses flying saucers because enemies aren't as quick to shoot them down as recon planes. And Jack asks Mulder if he knows what happens to most people who see UFOs. And Mulder says they're experiencing missing time. And Jack says any number of soft option kills will do. Nerve gas, low frequency infrasound, beams. Hell, even with high power and microwaves, you can not only cut enemy communications, but you can cook internal organs. And then Jack lights a cigarette, and Mulder asked about the abductions. And Jack says he doesn't know much about them. He's just a pilot. And he's like, You ever flown a flying saucer? Afterwards, sex seems trite. And then Mulder asks what he does with the abductees. And Jack says, They take them back to the base and let the doctors work on them. Nothing physical. They just kind of mess with their minds. And Mulder's like, Hypnosis? And Jack says, He's seen people go into a room and come out completely positive they were probed by aliens. And Mulder asks if abductions are just an intelligence gathering operation and UFOs are just secret military planes piloted by aliens, such as Jack, then what was he abducted by? Jack says he's positive he, his co pilot, and those kids were abducted, but he also can't be sure that they were abducted. Mm-hmm. He's not sure of anything anymore. He doesn't know if these mashed potatoes are real. He doesn't know if Mulder is real. Mulder assures him that he does indeed exist and is real. And Jack's like, thanks, man. But I can't offer you the same assurance about me. Mm-hmm. And then Heineken and his two airmen walk into the bar. And Jack's like, looks like I'm a dead man. And Mulder's like, it can't all be fake memories. What about the third alien? And as the men grab him and walk him off, he's like, you meet Lord Kimboat? And then they walk him out. The bar Mulder never sees him again. Bye
1: bye, Jack. Yeah.
0: Well, that's a lie.
1: Yeah, that is a lie.
0: That is a lie. Yeah. Anyway, the mashed potatoes are yet another reference to something else because, mm-hmm. of course, they are. This is Darren Morgan, uh, who has zero self control. This time, it's obviously close encounters the third kind because he's making them a little mashed potato mountain. With some mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Although I think this episode is meant to be like every alien abduction stereotype, which I, I get doing the reference to the. One of the most famous yeah. alien abduction stories. I mean, it's
0: convenient for him to write an episode where he gets to put everything in it because it's what he does anyway. So he might as well cover it. It
1: is convenient, but I think yeah. it worked out this time. But yeah. So this might be one of my favorite scenes of anything ever. I love this scene so much. I just, I want to marry it. I want to live with it forever. I just, I love it. So Chung says, that is odd because almost every day he was there Chung ate lunch at that diner and he became friends with the cook who told him a story about the night Scully is talking about a man came into the diner and we see Mulder enter and he like flashes his badge and he identified himself as FBI agent Fox Mulder and he ordered sweet potato pie and the cook gives him a slice of pie and Mulder asked the cook if he's ever seen a UFO in these parts and Chung says Mulder ordered piece after piece of pie asking one question with each slice. So we see the cook like hand him a new slice and he'll be like, you ever experience missing time? You ever think you've been abducted by aliens? You ever find an implant in your body? Have you checked everywhere? And the cook just stands there the whole time with this look on his face, like an angry Muppet. Like, it's so good. And then Chung says, according to the cook, Mulder ate an entire pie in that fashion and then got up and left. The cook never saw him again, nor did the cook mention Lieutenant Schaefer or any other Air Force personnel. And back in the office, Chung notes that Scully doesn't seem bothered by these contradictions. And Scully says, no, not after what happened when Mulder got back to the hotel. (gasps) I've actually never had sweet potato pie. I watched this episode right before Thanksgiving the first time, and I almost, almost picked one up, but I ended up getting pumpkin instead. So
0: yeah. It's like pumpkin pie. Yeah. Um, it's would... actually better than pumpkin pie.
1: Yeah, um I though that. I guess
0: it does it does depend on the spices. Like my wife tends to make won't make pumpkin pie. She'll make like squash pie or sweet potato pie or like a mixture of things mm-hmm. kind of pies. It just it, it has it has more flavor than especially if you're buying like, you know, like just a canned pumpkin kind of stuff to make mm-hmm. whatever. Or buying like a pie. I don't know that if you went and bought a sweet potato pie. I guess it, again it would depend on where you bought it from. Right. So like anything else.
1: So, yeah, like yeah. if you got it at a good bakery, it might be really yeah. good. If you but it's get basically it at the grocery it's that, it's store? Same, probably not. Yeah, it's
0: that same kind of like pumpkin pie thing, basically. Yeah, so.
1: it looks good, and now I want pie, and I really wish I had some, and I do not. So sad. Yeah.
0: And some older probably ate six slices of pie because those those were like they were probably six. They weren't they weren't eighths, and they weren't quarters. So probably. Six.
1: Yeah, and he asked about five questions that we see, yeah, which so is I a pretty good slice
0: sense. of pie if yeah. you go somewhere. Really, I mean, getting like a six is pretty good. Yeah. So. Yeah. I don't know how much he paid for it, but
1: I don't know. It looks like he drops a twenty on the bar.
0: <laughs> yeah, I didn't didn't you know, I didn't stop to zoom in because I'm trying not to be a crazy person <laughs> all the time. So So at the motel, Mulder knocks on Scully's door, which is cracked open. And inside are two men in black. <gasps> what? Yeah. The first one, Jesse Ventura, is going through the dresser. And the second one is sitting on the bed, looking through the nightstand. Mulder draws his gun and is like, where's Scully? And the first man is like, she went to get some ice. And then sure enough, like right behind Mulder, Scully just walks in, carrying the ice bucket, sets it down. She seems a little weird, honestly. Mm-hmm. She kind of comes in and says nothing. She just walks in and sets the ice bucket down and then turns around and is like, Mulder, these men have something very important to tell you. So then Jesse Ventura tells Mulder, that some alien encounters are hoaxes perpetrated by your government to manipulate the public. And some are intentionally revealed to manipulate the truth seekers and discredit them when they reveal the details of the deliberately absurd deceptions. Mulder says similar things are said about the men in black and that they dress and behave strangely. So if anyone tries to describe their encounter, they come off sounding like a lunatic. And then Jesse Ventura says that he can't think of any reason why anyone would think Mulder was crazy. If he described this meeting, And then the second man in black touches Mulder's shoulder. The man looks exactly like Alex Trebek, the host of Jeopardy. And Trebek says, you're feeling very sleepy.
1: Yeah. And Chung is like, Alex Trebek, the game show host? And Scully Mm -hmm. says that Mulder didn't say it was Alex Trebek. It was just someone who looked incredibly like him. And Chung asks Scully what she thought. He's like, you were there. What did you think? And she tells him that she doesn't have any recollection of this. She was surprised to wake up the next morning to find Mulder asleep in her room. And Chung does this really He's cute like, thing. <laughs> like, yeah, he does a very cute like, oh, you, you fell asleep in the same room, huh? So <laughs> Chung's probably got an AO3 account. He's probably got some Mulder Scully yeah. fiction. Anyway, back in the hotel room, we see that Scully is actually in her bed and Mulder is on the couch like across the room. And Scully tells Mulder, she's like, I don't even remember letting you in. And he's like, you didn't let me in. They were already here. And then the phone rings and then Scully picks up and she's like, okay, we'll be right there. And she hangs up and she tells Mulder that that was Detective Manners. He says, they just found your bleeping UFO.
0: Yeah. I'm actually not sure if, because like you we talk about like, you know, Chung, Jose Chung, he kind of does that little like, like little thing. I'm going to bet that was probably Charles Nelson Riley. Because if he apparently improved a lot of stuff. I can see that. Yeah. Like the whole, like in the opening part where he like reaches like exactly and reached over and touched Scully's hand. Like, you know, he like, that was improv. Like he did a lot of stuff. And then he like basically yeah. like was just talking nonstop and cracking people up the whole time. And,
1: yeah. Apparently uh, so. Julian Anderson really liked working with him. He was very friendly and just very like,
0: yeah. So I'm not sure how much of like Jose Chung is script and how much is just Charles Nelson riley yeah. So
1: he's so good though, and that little look yeah. he does is just like mm. like i <laughs> mm-hmm. such a good yeah. look. It's so good. You're just yeah. like oh yes. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and unlike our, I mean, we could save this for later, but unlike our previous like big name person who was in a Darren Morgan episode. Charles Nelson Riley actually was really into being in this. Like he auditioned for it. Apparently Darren Morgan wanted someone else first. Well, the first person he wanted was already dead. So that wasn't going to happen. But then he wanted someone else who also wasn't available. So they like just opened up auditions and then Charles Nelson Riley like auditioned for it, and really wanted it. And everyone was kind of like, oh, I'm not sure. But then they went ahead and hired him and just everyone. was Yeah, like, wow, we did a good job. hiring."
1: Scully. Yeah, good decision so, for sure.
0: Yeah. So manners leads Mulder and Scully to a wreckage site and we see wreckage. And it's like a black plane and there's military people everywhere. And he tells them that this was apparently the cause of all those UFO sightings three nights ago. They refused assistance from local authorities because it's some kind of top secret experimental plane. And Mulder's like, they don't want assistance. They want witnesses to their alibi. Which, in a way, like, if they didn't want people before, why do they suddenly want people to see it now? Mulder's on to something there. Mm -hmm. And so then we see soldiers walking by carrying a body. And we see that it's Jack Schaefer.
1: No. Yep.
0: And then another pair of soldiers walk by and they're carrying valet. And Manners is like, wait, that was the guy. And then he and Scully just kind of exchange a look. And then everyone walks off. Mm -hmm. So then we see Chung finishing writing his notes. And he looks up at Scully and she tells him she knows that probably doesn't have the sense of closure that he wanted but it has more than some of their cases.
1: Yeah, cause some of their cases don't have any closure. So at least this one, they got a little yeah.
0: bit. Yeah, yeah, cause, cause Chung is like, he's like writing is all like, boom, like, you know, that little like stab at the paper with your pin kind of thing, and it mm-hmm. closes his book. So, yep, that's it, that's the end of Scully story.
1: Yep. And so then we see Jose Chung and he's in his office writing or in his apartment and shadows appear at his door and it has this opaque glass. You can kind of see the shadows moving behind it. And Chung kind of freaked out, grabs a gun and he opens the door and he sees Mulder. And a janitor. Yeah. There's a janitor behind Mulder. So that's why there's two shadows. And he knows who Mulder is and he nods for him to come inside. And he's like, what can I do for you? And Mulder's like, don't write this book. No matter how great a writer Chung is, it will be impossible to explain events that occurred in any realistic way because they deal with alternative realities we haven't yet begun to comprehend. And when presented in the wrong way, the people involved can appear foolish, if not downright psychotic. And Mulder also knows that Chung's publisher is a subsidiary of MacDougall Kessler, Which makes Mulder suspect there's a covert agenda for this book from the military-industrial complex. (gasps) But Chung tells him the book will be written. But it can only benefit if Mulder explains something to him. And Mulder's like, what's that? And Chung says, what really happened to those kids on that night? And Mulder says, how the hell should I know? And Chung tells Mulder he appreciates the visit, but he has deadlines. So Mulder leaves, and Chung gets back to work.
0: Then we have Chung's voiceover, and he tells us that evidence of extraterrestrials continues to elude us, but the skies will still be searched by the likes of Blaine Faulkner. And we see Blaine, he's like flashing a flashlight up in the sky, and then he's actually in like a bucket and like rising up. And then we see he's actually like wearing like the electric company, like, jacket and then we find out that blaine has a new job he's working for an electric company and then he like sparks fly off the pole because apparently blaine's not (laughs) super great at his job so yeah get better yeah (laughs) and then chung's like others will search for answers from within and he tells us that Rocky relocated to El Cajon, California and is preaching to the lost and desperate. And we see Rocky standing in front of a tapestry that shows like the center of the earth as a fertile land. And he's telling a group of people all like sitting like with their legs crossed. is about reaching enlightenment at the core as long as you avoid lava monsters. So, yeah. I'm <laughs> also because like parts of the story, I, I could not help but think because he's kind of like doing like a cult thing, Rocky is a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then we know that his script had like some sex orgy stuff. Something like, don't do that. Yeah.
1: Anyway. But yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. He's starting his little cult, and it's it's yeah. probably not going to end well. But that's that's yeah. his path. So then, at the X Files office, we see that Scully is reading Chung's book from outer space, and Chung's voiceover: the book continues that seeking the truth about aliens is a nine to five job to some, such as Agent Diana Lesky, who though noble in spirit is still a federal employee. And Scully kind of glares at the book. Which then the book continues, as for her partner, Reynard Muldrake, mm-hmm. a ticking time bomb of insanity, his quest into the unknown has so warped his psyche that one shudders to think how he receives pleasures from life. And then we see Mulder is in bed and he's watching a shaky Bigfoot tape on the TV. Nick's notes say his right hand is suspiciously under the covers. I did not notice that.
0: His right <laughs> hand is suspiciously under the covers and he's sighing a lot as he's watching the footage. So
1: <laughs> I thought yeah. he was just looking at Bigfoot, but that's <laughs>
0: <anyway>. <laughs> looking yeah. at Bigfoot. Boobs. <laughs> there you go. Yep. It all comes full circle. Comes full circle. Yep. Yeah. His his his, his other arm. Because Mulder is right-handed and he's holding the remote with his left hand, and his right hand is suspiciously <laughs> like not shown because he's laying in bed with like you know his chest and everything showing so yeah and then we see Chrissy in front of her computer and she's looking at a Greenpeace website and her walls are covered with posters like Greenpeace and Amnesty International and all kinds of stuff like that whales and all kinds Mm -hmm. of stuff and the voiceover tells us that her encounter has convinced her to improve her own world and then there's a rattling at Chrissy's window and she runs to open it and we see Harold standing below and she's like what do you want and he's like I still love you and she's like, is love all you men think about? And she slams the window shut. And so Harold turns and walks away, obviously heartbroken. And then we get Chung's voiceover. And he says that some care not for extraterrestrials and instead search for meaning in other human beings. So I'm talking about Harold, obviously. And then he's like, rare or lucky are those who find it. We may not be alone in the universe, but in our own separate ways on this planet, we are all alone. And it ends and it ends as like, you know, Harold turns and walks away. Mm-hmm. So,
1: man, that last line gets ch- I'm choked up now, even that last line. gets me.
0: Yeah, And it's a good book into the first lines he has
1: where he talks about feeling kind of alien. And-
0: yeah. Like I felt as like an alien myself and never thought about, you know, UFOs like that. So, yeah, it's a nice little book into that, too. So,
1: yeah. And obviously, Detective Manners was named after director Kim Manners, who did have a reputation for swearing a lot.
0: Yeah, sadly, they spelled detective wrong in the credits. <laughs> they spelled it D-E-C-T-E-C-T-I-V.
1: Yeah, so. Typos happen.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, but come on. It's,
1: uh, come on, dude. Come on.
0: But yeah. yeah, I don't know who's responsible for that. So
1: I don't. Yeah. Someone in the post-production office, I'm sure. So it wasn't yeah. really. I Probably mean, some poor guy it,
0: but... barely gets a paycheck is going to be mm-hmm. thrown under the bus.
1: And Lord Kimbo was played by stunt coordinator, Tony Morelli, and he was like wearing a large suit. He had to spend over 10 hours in the suit to get all of the necessary shots. And the suit stood seven feet tall. And Morelli's feet actually started where the suit's knees are, and he stood on stilts. So it was hard to walk in. And the costume was designed by special effects coordinator, Toby Lindala, who gave it remote control eyes and eyelids. And then the footage was digitally altered to create that like stop motion look that we get in the beginning when we see Lord Cameron.
0: Yeah, they did a pretty good job of making it look like not so great stop motion, honestly. I, I imagine they probably, well, I, I, oh, I read later, but I, I, at first I was like, oh, they probably just like, you know, cut some frames out. But what I guess they did was they filmed at different speeds and then also cut frames out to make it kind of like herky-jerky a little bit. And then either they created like a filter or something to make it look like these characters weren't filmed together kind of thing, because you can kind of see like the, the layer between like the, you know, the big alien and then the regular gray aliens mm-hmm. or more likely, they probably just actually really did film them separately and then overlaid them so that you got that look naturally. Cause why would you make it harder for yourself if you're going to do it anyway? So yeah, there are a couple of parts where you can kind of definitely tell it's like a guy in a suit, but if you don't know the whole backstory, it kind of would double as like, oh, they got the animation really good in this spot and the rest they didn't. So it kind of works either way, whether you yeah. know that it is or don't. They did it, So they did a pretty good job. I don't know if that was intentional or not, but they did a pretty good job. So obviously it was intentional to make it look like stop motion.
1: Oh, yes. Yeah. The
0: whole like whether it's good stop motion or bad stop motion in parts. I don't know if that part was intentional. I guess. I should Yeah,
1: I don't part know. Part but though. it looked cool. And apparently Rob Bowman wasn't a fan of the script when he first read it. He worried that it poked too much fun at the X-Files. Morgan says he did enjoy ribbing the show, but he wasn't trying to make fun of it. He basically took a bunch of alien abduction stories and tried to like piece mail them together into like basically your standard abduction story, right? From different angles and told from mm-hmm. different perspectives.
0: Yeah. I'm so sup- maybe because he didn't do I was to say like, I think some of the other episodes, like especially Humbug makes more fun of the x-files than this one does but rob bowman didn't direct that one kim manners did
1: right and they so, were all kind of concerned about humbug if you remember like they were a little worried that being well that's, it was, like the first, that, it was the first
0: one too yeah so it was
1: going to be weird i think that i mean i don't think he's making fun of the x-files there's this thing i call it affectionate snark and i think if you're a fan of something for long enough you do tend to develop a little bit of affectionate snark about it because everything has its Silly parts, or the the things that don't make sense, or you know the little things that are kind of ridiculous, and you kind of just rib it because you love it. But it's not necessarily out of like, oh, I'm trying to tear this thing apart. It's just like you know, just giving it. Well, yeah,
0: but but I again, I don't even think there's any much of that in this episode. I don't think so
1: either. I think like the only
0: things that I really picked out that were like making fun of like the X Files itself were like little in joke bits about like the and your hair is a little too Uh red, yeah, and that kind of stuff. Right? It's like. Or but other than that, shrieking. there wasn't, yeah, a lot of, it. otherwise, it was just a lot of, like, you know, doing the story, and then, of course, like, throwing every possible, like, UFO reference into the episode as humanly possible. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but I don't yeah. think there was a, I don't see a lot of, like, the whole, like, Making of the Next Files. In yeah, this.
1: I don't feel like it so. did at all, and I, you know, I do think affection snark is great, I don't see a lot of that in this one, I feel like it's just very much, like. It's a story from different perspectives. And it's.
0: So pull back, Rob Bowman, right? Just...
1: <laughs> Calm down. If um, I'm
0: saying I don't think there was much of that in there, then what? Yeah. Would people like? I don't know. So.
1: And as we said at the beginning, this is Morgan's last episode until newer seasons. He <laughs> apparently just felt super burned out at this point. And I. I don't know. I mean, he says he didn't feel like he was maybe suited to the demands of being a staff writer because you have to remember they're not just writing episodes. They're also going through the episodes, you know, that come out every week and doing script editing and, you know, working on those. So it's not like he's just doing his episodes in a little bubble
0: yeah i'm still like i wrote three episodes i'm tired <laughs> man whatever yeah i mean okay, to fine. be honest if someone i mean if you're not cut out a... for it you're not cut out for it that's right. fine but whatever yeah
1: if someone gave me a script writing job i would not be like wow i mean i probably would be burned out by the end of the first season but you suck it up because that's an awesome job <laughs> but i don't know i mean maybe he felt like i mean if bowman really didn't like the script maybe he felt like they weren't jiving or something I mean, who if knows anything
0: he was probably tired from putting every single possible reference he has (laughs) in his brain in every single script because apparently this script, like at every point in this script, like just the very first scene we get, like at every point it was like, Oh, like he makes a little, he makes a little, like a little i don't want to say that like directorial comments but he does a kind of thing where like you're kind of describing the scene because there's there's different levels of script writing right some people write very sparse scripts and let the, you know the director or if you're thinking like comic books right some people write very sparse scripts and let the artist have more leeway mm-hmm. some people get very specific like down to like panel layouts almost and everything before they hand it off to the artist to do it but apparently in this script like every single scene had like and it should look like this like it should look like the star destroyer it should look like and like just ref uh, on top of just like the in script references there were just constantly like it's got to look like this it's got to look like this it's got to look like this and it's like dude, there is a balance between like emulating things and like creating things and like at some point it starts to be like with just like can you come up with an idea on your own please and not have it look like something or be something else like I mean, this. I think this does a pretty good balance of it, despite the fact that I'm complaining about it now. But that's because this is the culmination of it happening in, like, four episodes. And so it's yeah. kind of like, it's something that he, maybe that's why he's tired. And also, maybe he was getting a lot of, like, can you tone it down a little bit?
1: Yeah, so, he might have been getting a lot of that, which might have made it harder. I know that would make it harder for me. So, yeah,
0: I mean, this we don't episode, know. <laughs> we've got, we've got class, we've got high neck, we've got valet, we've got Schaefer, which actually does double duty or... Double Dutch Duty, which I'm sure Darren Morgan would love me saying Double Dutch Duty because Schaefer is actually the name of Dutch in Predator and Uh-oh. Jesse Ventura is in Predator, but then Schaefer is also a UFO book writer. But we get oh, all okay. these, like, all the reference names. I mean, I'm honestly surprised there aren't more. Maybe there were more and they got edited out.
1: I honestly so, didn't recognize but, any of them, so.
0: <laughs> okay, yeah. Well, well, class, Philip J. Class.
1: Class maybe. I recognize, yeah, yeah,
0: And then Jacques Vallee, And then I can't remember. I want to say I don't think it's Robert. It may be Robert. I don't remember what Schaefer's name is, but he's written several UFO books. Mm. And then again, like Dutch's character, Arnold Schwarzenegger's character in Predator, his last name is also Schaefer. So it kind of does mm-hmm. double duty on that one. So, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Call yourself a UFO nerd. Tori, you don't remember any of these names?
1: Oh. Well, I don't know. Really I had all those books, I'm sure. I don't remember who they were no. by. No. I used to have it's just like
0: reference after reference. And then of course we got like the manners reference in here.
1: yeah. So. I know there's a lot of references of I, yeah. I still, I think it works really well, but
0: Dr. Fingers, apparently I did not even notice that he had an assistant, but apparently he has an assistant who's named Dr. Hand.
1: Oh, that's funny.
0: And the credit <laughs> she's credited in the credits.
1: I didn't see her. I wonder if she got cut out.
0: Yeah, I don't know. But there's credit for a Dr. Hand. It's, it's a female character. But I was like, Doctor Fingers, Doctor Okay, whatever, dude, whatever. I kind of figured he was called Doctor Fingers because he's got he's got very prominent, he's got very longish fingers, and when he's doing the hypnosis, his hands are on his thighs, and so his fingers are all spread out over his knees. i wonder if that's why he was called Doctor Fingers. I don't know. He's never named, so I don't know if that's just like a script name. And they're like Doctor Fingers and Doctor Hand, ha ha ha, or whatever. You know? Yeah, I, no I don't know either. So, I don't think he's ever actually named in the episode. So
1: yeah, I don't think he is. He's just the hypnotherapist. Yeah.
0: I did not recognize, I forgot that he was the, uh, I recognized him as the, which is surprising because he had all that makeup on as the curator from Humbug. Mm-hmm. But it didn't click that he was also the tarot dude in Clyde Bruckman's Final Repose. And then yeah. after I saw that, I was like, oh yeah, that, yeah, yeah. I, that, <laughs> didn't, that didn't click with me.
1: Yeah, so. it was a little bit of I mean it was a different character, but the acting style was obviously a which is kind
0: of weird because so. we only see like his un makeup face in one little tiny part. But probably maybe his speaking was like that kind of led to it too.
1: Yeah, so. his voice. Sometimes the voice yeah. will do it.
0: Yeah. But
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: No more Darren Morgan. Well, we will have some Darren Morgan. When we do our millennium episodes.
1: Yeah.
0: On our page. Well, Patreon.
1: and so. Joy of Joys. Morgan and Wong come back in season four.
0: They do, but that one, that's not Darren Morgan. No, that's Morgan that's, and Wong.:
1: That's Glenn yeah. Morgan. yeah.
0: yeah well, they come I think they come back as Morgan and Wong and then they split as Morgan I think they may split as Morgan and Wong and just be like Morgan and Wong in the sixteen and 18th. I don't remember, but at I some don't point they, 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 at some point apparently in like life, they have had a split mm-hmm of yeah we together. talked
1: about that a little bit yeah when we talked about them originally i do know I think. The
0: details i haven't looked it up but yeah nope i think they come back as morgan and wong
1: they do because so. they write a very infamous episode yeah
0: well and also they they, they, right they they're some of the key writers on millennium as well
1: because
0: mm-hmm. so. they come back and then they leave again because they go to millennium and then yep. yeah
1: <laughs> they're all over the place all
0: over the place
1: but Darren Morgan does stay on for the rest of the season as a story editor, and he is involved with some. Right. Well, he's been a story so... editor this entire season. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. And he will finish out the season doing that. So,
0: so he's not a total crybaby. I'm like,
1: I'm tired. <laughs> I'm leaving now. Bye. I don't so, think yeah. he's a crybaby. I think writing for TV <laughs> is probably very hard. I can't imagine that it's easy. And it doesn't seem like this show was easy. Especially for someone who just wants to be funny all the time.
0: <laughs> was it easy to rate?
1: Yes, actually. I think this is my favorite X-Files episode ever. Like, I have watched it so many times just this wow. year, just since i watched it for this. Yeah, this episode is going to get my first 10.
0: Oh, my God.
1: I love it that much. And I had to watch it again to make sure, because I was like, I don't know. That's that's a pretty big leap. That's let me, old. Let wow. me double check. But I watched it again, and I was like, you know what? I love everything about it. Like, there are parts that don't make a lot of sense, like the alien autopsy part where like she doesn't figure out that it's a costume right away like that doesn't make a lot of sense it's not entirely clear what you know the government is doing and obviously we're not going to get those answers but there I have a couple questions but none of it is big enough to ruin it for me this episode is just so entertaining from start to finish and then the end it always kind of gets me with that line about being alone and I'm just like this is what I want from the x-files this exactly so thank you Darren Morgan for this episode
0: I have to admit, I am both surprised by the 10, and then I'm not surprised.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a very me thing, right? Like, it's got different perspectives, which is something that I Well, I definitely was
0: thinking, like, she's going to definitely go, like, with 8 or 9 on this. And I was thinking, she's probably going to go with 9 on this. And then you said it was your favorite episode. It is. And I'm like, oh, man, is she going to go 10? Is she going to go full 10? And you did. I did
1: did go full 10. Because, yeah, it's got everything I love. It's got... Comedy. It's got some introspective ideas about what it means to be a person. It's got a lot of great stuff. And I love stories that have multiple perspectives. Like there are episodes of other shows that do that where like everyone's telling the same story, but it's different because it's all from their different perspectives. I think that is amazing. And I wish every show would do that because I always think that's really fun. Obviously, Charles Nelson Riley just knocks it out of the park. He is so good. And just everything about it makes me happy. Like the scene with the pie, I think it's just so funny like it's just there's so much here that I think just works really well and it comes together and I'm like this is quintessential x-files for me when I was 13 14 and super in love with the show this episode I remember seeing Alex Trebek and like freaking out like that was such a big thing it was so crazy and I was like oh Alex Trebek is on the x-files and no one knew until it aired because you know no one said anything so it was like I don't know this episode is just it's my favorite I love it and I think it's so good
0: Alex Trebek thing I have to say I think was weird
1: it's weird, but I think it's also funny because it's like it had to be somebody famous, but it had to be someone that you wouldn't expect. And you like yeah, wouldn't I, expect. I mean, I don't know, know that it had outside. to be someone
0: famous. I mean, like I said, I had some issues with the whole men in black stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. like I said, behavioral wise, it's much more like threatening kind of thing. Like yes. historical men in black kind of stuff.
1: Like you saw Venus. And if you tell anyone it wasn't Venus, you know, that yeah, kind of thing,
0: yeah. They, they were all in black. They had the black car. Um, a lot of descriptions of men in black are they're almost not human-y, like they're almost like a like an uncanny valley kind of action going on with them, mm-hmm. which I mean that's hard to replicate. So I, I could see not doing that part. Yeah. Early ones did have them wearing hats all the time, but also that was like in the 50s and 60s when everybody wore hats. So but they were usually more like the standard Fedora hat, whereas these are almost like almost like cowboy hats, which is kind of like that really big mm-hmm. brimmed, like trench coaty kind of like the shadow kind of hat. I did think that Ventura looked a little weird because this was in his I have a ponytail stage. He's Mm -hmm. got a big ponytail in the back. I think if they had gone with the dark glasses and no hat and no ponytail, he would have been much more like I don't know, just what I think of as Men in Blackie. Mm -hmm. Everyone's different perspective. There's no consistent, even in historical stuff, there's no consistent. Mm -hmm. Some are almost alienoid. Some are like Grayish looking. Some are almost like robotic. It's all over the yeah, place. Yeah, I always kind of, pictured them as almost kind as, of as if like... they're not real and people are just making stories up. I don't know.
1: Yeah. But, I always so. pictured them as kind of like tall, lanky, but like almost gray skin with no real discernible face like you they have a face but you can't see it because it just blurs out every time you try yeah like some it. people
0: are like oh like they're hybrids maybe like mm-hmm. a lot of them talk about they yeah. don't have lips or yeah like you never see their eyes or if they do have eyes they're very like blank starey or like the mm-hmm. pupils are really large or yeah so I mean, it's, it's kind of all over the place so yeah But I guess I gotta rate this too. So you don't have to. um, I mean, I do. It's part of the thing we do. I rate this. So I'm actually gonna give it a seven. Nice. I thought it was good. You are correct. Charles Nelson Riley makes this episode in much the same way that I think Peter Boyle makes Clyde Bruckman's Mm -hmm. final repose. Yep. I think I I do think that one. And this is all this is all personal stuff. We we know that episode hit me hard. Yeah. And a lot of that is what the the content of the episode is, especially the character of Clyde Bruckman, right? What mm-hmm. you know, what goes on in the episode. A lot of that hit me really hard at the end. And so that obviously pumped up my kind of thing. Whereas this one is a different it's a different style, but Charles Nelson Roddy kills it. I think in a lot of ways, I think. Charles Nelson Riley made the episode more than the script made the episode. In the same way, I think maybe Peter Boyle made the episode more than the script made the episode. In that mm-hmm. one too, yeah. I think if anyone—not saying that anyone else couldn't do as good a job—but I think they surpassed what was on paper.
1: Yeah. Oh, the I agree. portrayals
0: of the characters. So, yeah. So seven. I, I might rethink it. We'll see. We're getting really close at the end, so my ability to rethink it, I mean, not really, because I can rethink it whenever I want, but we kind of stick with, like, we do our, you know, revisions before the end of the season.
1: And yeah. And
0: they're locked in. So we're getting close, because we only got, like...
1: We've only got four, three left. And it helps that I've actually watched those three, so I kind of know where I, I stand on the season as a whole. Tori, mm-hmm. did you Oh, we do. One? I'm sorry. You're right. We have yeah. Avatar, Quagmire, Wet Wired, and Talitha Kumi.
0: Yeah. Yes, that's four. So, Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So I, I'll maybe put some effort in this. But yeah, so we're definitely definitely a seven. And we'll see. Maybe it might go to an eight.
1: Honestly, off the, off I'm glad that you liked it in any capacity. Because I, I feel like this episode can go either way for anybody. Like, I feel like people either love it or hate it. I think more people love it than hate it. But I could see, like, if this isn't your jam at all, you're going to hate this episode. Because it's, I was it's expecting, very what it is.
0: Yeah, I was <laughs> expecting a more um Rashomon aspect to it. Mm. With like the stories meshing more and just being slightly more character part, like it's it's like that a little bit, but it's really not like that at all. No, because um, it's, just it's everyone's
1: like, story is very yeah, and, different, and there's different, and, and we different get different experience. parts of
0: stories from different people too, right? So we don't it's not get... like the same story as being told by every single person. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so I know there I mean,
1: are episodes of shows where yeah, like you'll get one story, but like from every perspective, and you get the whole thing. This one we get like. Yeah. pieces and bits from every person
0: but and then also i know culminates. we first talked about this i always assumed that it was a movie not a book that he was doing mm. because i had i did know about the alien costume right and so i assumed they were like filming like an alien movie as opposed to dudes in still in costumes but not because they're doing a movie
1: yeah no so, just for weird yeah. nefarious military reasons maybe yeah so know we'll I, I liked
0: it a lot so yeah i may it may it, it it's if we were doing halves, I'd probably go definitely go with seven and a half. But yeah, so it's, it's going to be a solid seven. And then we'll see if it goes to eight by the end of Nice the season. So,
1: yeah, I might have to revise my rating on the X-Files pilot because I do like that one a lot, too. So we'll have to rethink mm. that one when we get to when we get to the season. Wait, different the beasts,
0: different beasts, very different and, beasts.
1: Incredibly and different. I also notice
0: production wise, which is strange because this is this is season three, episode 20. I went back and watched, I didn't watch the whole thing, but I went back and watched parts of Fresh Bones, episode 15, season two, because I was checking that recollection Mm -hmm. of like how similar were they. I couldn't remember, I could not remember if the dude was naked. And I guess I just really wanted to know if the dude was naked. And so (laughs) that one has a much, this season, you don't really notice it when you're watching it. And maybe because it's a slow progression, you can definitely tell they're doing digital now. Because even Fresh Bones has a much more like, film look to it okay just like it like this is everything's cleaner you know with digital that's that's one of the big complaints about digital is everything's cleaner Mm -hmm. so you don't get that you know you have to you can you can do manipulation to give it that rougher look and all that kind of stuff but that's one of the complaints about you know going digital and even just like films that are shot digital but then but then shown on film as opposed to being shown digital as well. Like you just lose that. And I mean, and some of that's just people being like, mm, you know, snooty business, but like <laughs> you you can like, cause every, you you get to where you're, you're getting such a high resolution that like you can see everything. And so there is no blurriness. There is no graininess, There is no, you know? And so, yeah, but I was surprised to notice the difference in that episode when mm-hmm. we're basically like, maybe like what, 25 maybe episodes apart Mm -hmm. so just one season apart and yet the the difference in quality from going to jumping right from one to the next was like whoa this one is yeah so
1: yeah it's interesting well everyone should just be like tommy why so and just film it in both it's not like that's expensive
0: (laughs) i don't know who that is
1: you don't know yeah of course you don't the room you've never had to sit through that no no no. Okay. Well,
0: is that the Shining one? No, that's no. no that's, that's the Room thing. is like a
1: really bad movie that became kind of a cult classic because it's bad. Oh. And it was made by this guy named Tommy Wiseau, who some people theorize is an alien. <laughs> I do not think he's an alien. Other people think he's a vampire. I don't think he's a vampire. Um, he just he's a really mysterious guy. And then there's a movie about the movie. Anyway, yeah, it's a whole thing. But he shot his movie in. Digital and on film at the same time, which was nuts because it just cost so much money, and everyone thought that was completely insane. But yeah, why? Why did they think it was insane, or why did he do? No, that? why
0: did he do it? Like, what did he? You, you can't show both versions at the I same mean, time.
1: You can't ask that about Tommy Wiseau so? because nobody knows why he did that. He I did mean, that he, because did he
0: like did he like alternate Tommy's between reasons. cuts of no, them both? Because or? he just
1: wanted both, I guess. In case I don't, I don't know.
0: Which one did he actually use? Do you know? No,
1: I don't know. That's a good question. I I mm. think just the digital, but I don't know for sure.
0: Okay, I'm just like, yeah. why? Like, why would you do? That? I mean, <laughs> I think of the, especially if it's if it's expensive. Which I mean, film is expensive. Just mm-hmm. I mean, not even just equipment. I mean, he spent millions of dollars film like that and that movie processing
1: of his own money, and no one knows. I mean, why is the question right? And if like, you're yeah,
0: trying I- to really do a thing where you're wanting like the same shot with both parts. Then you got to have special rigs built for that, so oh, you're not yeah. getting any perspective or parallax and all that kind of stuff. So it just seems like that's a lot of work unless you have a reason to do it. Unless you also just have money to burn. Um. um
1: well, yeah, he that. does seem to have had money to burn. But yeah, no one knows. Okay. He's an eccentric, eccentric rich guy who made his own movie, and that's that's why. Yeah.
0: Okay. Must be nice.
1: Yeah, I know. <laughs> He also right. owns a lot of buildings in San Francisco. So, yeah. Must That's why be nice. he's rich. Yeah, 100%. That's must why be, he's rich,
0: because he's a must landlord. Be
1: very Well, he's not so. a landlord. He has, like, a weird clothing shop. Anyway, I don't know. Well, I mean, he probably is a landlord, too. I don't know. Um, Again, must be nice.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: But anyway, Jose Chung right, from to, Outer To space avoid a nice. scree,
0: we're going to go. Yeah, because so. otherwise <laughs> I will start
1: ranting about how they just raised my rent $200, which
0: is <laughs> all right so pet rent.
1: i've never had pet rent before that does not seem legal but anyway i can't seem we do anything about it i, mean, I'm I moving don't think it's anyway. legal
0: but that's me so you oh, right. screw it um, right. we, well, we're really great. we're we we're not gonna do that and we're doing that so <laughs>
1: <laughs> so that was jose chums from outer space it is my favorite episode so far
0: and, and it's, so it's deaf so it's her favorite episode altogether
1: mm-hmm so far, it's I mean, an episode.
0: I let's be honest. I put watching this episode off for like I six know.
1: weeks. <laughs> Nick was like, oh, I can't record today. I have a sniffle. Oh, I can't record today. My and then it was hurts. fortunately the
0: holiday. So like, yeah, <laughs> we haven't recorded in four weeks. And I've been putting this off for like, you know, what's funny that.
1: is like, I was so just like, I had no idea because like, I could not tell if you were going to love it or if you're going to hate it or if you're going to fall somewhere closer to the middle. But most people, I feel like this episode is not a middle. It's like you either really like it or you don't.
0: Yeah, and I was I was I admit I was dreading it because I have a thing with Darren
1: Morgan, more
0: so than with Glenn Morgan. Who if who would have who would have thunk? I'm not going to get, get too far ahead back. of
1: the game, but their their first episode back. Mm. Mm.
0: Okay i have oh, things
1: i mean everyone knows that episode it is very infamous but oof. oh
0: okay i don't <sighs> yeah
1: i did not I realize it want. was their first episode back though and i was like oh great
0: i'm not Come everyone we have said that a million times and now yeah
1: so it. we'll see i mean you so. may you may really like it. i honestly don't know we'll see what happens we're you not know, there yet though a, we have
0: i may become a big old glen morgan stan and oh my god like dude there is some craziness going on what's up with nick so that would know. be
1: hilarious You'd be like, I'm so sorry, Glenn Morgan, that I ever besmirched your name.
0: We'll find out. We'll find out.
1: I Want to Rewatch is hosted by Tori and Nick and recorded at Black Cat Studios.
0: That's right. We made this. And be sure to join us next time as we rewatch The X-Files Season 3, Episode 21, Avatar, not The Airbender.
1: And try to figure out if If the the truth is is still out there.
0: You saw Venus. The truth is
1: what we make of it.
0: You know, one thing I wanted to mention about this episode, and I never did, was that I am not sure this counts as a Monster of the Week episode. I uh-huh. would maybe put this in with a myth arc.
1: Well, it does have that government conspiracy thing going on, right? Because mm-hmm. all we know, it really, at the end, is that they're using people in costumes to fly test planes or, you know, spy yeah. planes.
0: Yeah, Yeah. It's
1: kind of like Conduit in that way, right? Where it's got, like... Yeah. Because it does, it's aliens, you know?
0: Yep.
1: It's not technically myth arc and you're like, eh, but it could be.
0: Yes. The one scene where Chrissy's remembering, and they're, like, in the Air Force office, the dude that comes over is like, okay, like, you know, hose her out or whatever kind of thing. I was like, man, if that had been, you know, the cigarette smoking man, oh, that would
1: have been sweet. Oh, that would have been but good.
0: Yeah. I think they but probably
1: a, didn't want to do that for... Re- because then it the would Air have Force. been a myth arc. Yeah. So.
0: And I don't think that, I was thinking that because... I don't think Darren Morgan does any. I mean, he only does six episodes altogether. I don't think he does any myth arcs. He hasn't done Mm-mm. any so far. No, so I don't, I don't think, the think two he does, he does later myth arcs either. So
1: that's not really his jam.
0: No, because he can't be serious. You can't control himself.
1: <laughs> you know what? Same though. Same. <laughs> I really, I think, I really do think I got a lot of my humor and storytelling notions. I think I got a lot of it from Darren Morgan. I think this show really inspired me more than I realized and watching his episodes. I'm like, either he and I just have the same like wavelength, or I took a lot of that really to heart and internalized it a lot. And he shaped me as a person. (laughs) So it's one of those. Cause I think I just really, I vibe on the same level as Darren. I get that
0: because with, with this and with us doing cold check episodes and stuff, um, and I've been doing this a little bit on my own too, just thinking about like things that like, you know, plus I'm getting old now. So like, like Charles Nelson Riley and like Paul Lind and like, you know, Dick Van Patten and all that kind of stuff. Like in, you know, the cold K- check as a whole and like, watching the streets of San Francisco, it's like things that like, I don't really, I didn't really think about much. And then when I go back to think about, them, I'm like, those things like had a big shape on me too. And then mm-hmm. just kind of like fell away and I forgot about them. And then you go back and you're like, what you know that really did like that's like in my head and somehow I just like once it comes back it just comes back
1: Mm -hmm. So I think you internalize a lot of stuff and then it just you don't even realize that it has become mm -hmm. part of your personality and you're like oh man I don't know this person I've never met Darren Morgan but I believe he probably did have a bigger impact on my life than I ever realized until now I mean I had a weird sense of humor when I was a younger kid too so I'm not saying that is entirely him but like you know definitely (laughs) on the same wavelength for sure
0: yep yeah yep I so let's do him. that because we we have kind of made conduit an unofficial myth arc episode so i yes, think jose chungs is going to be an unofficial myth arc episode boom nice called it
1: yeah i in. i in. Right.
0: cool all right that's probably going to go at the end of the episode actually all right so
1: yeah